morning, everyone. I'm really excited about this morning. Uh, a few months ago, I, uh, well, as you guys know, in January, uh, Jamie Smith joined our team as our director of worship. She joined the pastoral team. And it's just been a delight to have her part of the team and to work with her and the camaraderie that we share. And the thing about Jamie is she really is someone who inspires you to want to love Jesus more. And so, uh, and you all know we've been blessed by uh, her leadership here on Sunday mornings for nearly a year now. Uh, but I, a few months ago, I said, you know, I think it's time the congregation hear from you. They get to know you a little bit more. So would you consider sharing some of your story and sharing some of your heart and your heart for worship? And graciously, of course, she immediately said yes. And I've watched her then diligently began to pray and seek the Lord and, and to study and to prepare uh, this morning. And I am just really privileged to get to work with her. And so I am really honored to get to introduce to you as our speaker this morning, our director of worship, Jamie Smith. Would you all take a moment? We're going to pray for Jamie. Oh, sorry. Move the water stand. That's okay. <laughs> Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the community that the Spirit is building here uh, at Christ Community Church. And Lord, we thank you that you are not only expanding our congregation, but you're expanding our leadership team. And we are, um, we are grateful for the season that we are in. Lord, we just pray for Jamie that she would feel the peace of the Holy Spirit and that you would speak your wisdom through her and that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, amen. Is my mic on well enough? Okay. All right. Guys, I'm really excited um, to share my heart with you this morning about worship. Uh, to share some experiences that I've had, um, and uh, and just to really dive deep for a moment this morning about what worship is. I know that um, there's a lot that we can talk about this morning when it comes to worship. We can talk about the motivations in our hearts for worship, the ways that we can express our worship, but really this morning what I want to spend time focusing on is just the simplicity of worship that it is not this complicated things where we have to follow a bunch of rules or do it a certain way for it to be holy um, it really is something that's simple and beautiful and made easy for us so the title of my message this morning is called uncomplicated worship and I hope in this time this morning that it becomes a little less complicated for you um, to start, I wanted to just talk about the, the story of the woman with the alabaster box. There's uh, a few stories in the Bible that we're going to be looking at where it gives examples of experiences that people have with Jesus that compel them to worship, and this is one of them. Uh, a woman who was outcast in her community, who had every reason to be afraid to enter the presence of Jesus, but she didn't. There was some experience that she had with them that helped her to know who he was and that he was a safe place. And she came undistracted by the other opinions in the room, the other people in the room, and she came and knelt at his feet. And she washed his feet with her tears. And she dried them with her hair. And she sat and worshipped him. And that is the kind of worship, the kind of communion that I want to talk about this morning. Um, before I begin, though... I do want to spend some time allowing you to get to know me. Um, I want to share some experiences that I've had in worship. Um, 
just so that you kind of know my background and know where I'm coming from, from all of this. Uh, I've not just been in a worship service or in a church like this. I did spend many of my more recent years of church in a Pentecostal environment. But before that, I actually grew up in, in Iowa. For those of you that aren't familiar, it's the very cute little state that looks like it's growing a nose on one side between Minnesota and Missouri, and it's an awesome place to grow up. It was really, really fun uh, growing up in Iowa and all that it had to offer. But one of the things that I remember about being a child uh, is going to the Methodist church. My family and I were a part of uh, St. Paul's United Methodist Church, and it was a church downtown that was huge. It, like, it took up almost the entire city block, and it, its architecture was gorgeous, and it had beautiful windows inside. Um, I just remember the feeling of being in that church and feeling kind of small, but not in an intimidating way. It just felt so beautiful and grand inside. Um, in this church setting, I remember that it seemed the same every week. We followed a, a liturgy, which I didn't know it was called like that when I was you know, eight years old, but we had a piece of paper that told us when we were replying to the pastor and when we were singing and all of this stuff, there was a format that we were following and it stayed pretty much the same every week. Um, we had an organist that played. I remember the pipes coming out. Um, and how beautiful they were. Uh, we sang from hymnals. We were told which, which song to go find and hopefully we found the page before the song was over because it was just the number in the bulletin and we were scrambled to try and get there before everything was done. Um, but in this church setting, the way that we worshiped, it was really more about, about being reverent, about following the liturgy, about solemnity being quiet and being able to focus on honoring the Lord in that way. So that was my experience as a child and what worship was in church. Uh, when I was 12 years old, our family moved to Texas. Um, we did try to find Methodist church since that's what we were used to, but we actually didn't find one that, that felt like home to us, so we ended up going to a Baptist church. And in that church, of course, there's things that were a little different. There wasn't an organist, there was a keyboard player, um, and there was actually someone leading us. There was a worship leader that led and a piano player. We didn't have hymnals. We had words on a screen. Uh, and the display of worship was different. So while in the Methodist church, there really wasn't anything beyond the singing, which was gorgeous. It was beautiful to, to hear all the voices together. But in the Baptist church, you might see someone raise their hands or you might uh, hear someone shout or say amen or things like that. So it was a little bit different. Um, the church service was different every week. I mean, we followed a format, but, you know, we didn't always sing the same songs. It wasn't as predictable maybe as the Methodist church was. When I was 14, um, my mother, who had actually been raised in a more Pentecostal environment, decided we're going to try something new as a family. And so we went to an Assembly of God church for the first time. Uh, this is the church that I met my husband, Sean, and eventually I was on both the youth praise, praise and worship team and the adult praise and worship team. Uh, and in this setting, of course, it was a little bit more than the Baptist church. In this setting, we did plan and prepare our worship sets, and we were very thoughtful about it. We had a plan, but sometimes if the worship leader felt 
like there needed to be a change spontaneously. If he was following the Holy Spirit, we might sing a chorus again. We might skip a song and jump to, the, to one we hadn't even prepared. It, it's something that was more spontaneous. Um, and of course, in this setting, there was lots of people. The majority were raising their hands. The majority were being uh, very vocal. Um, the volume in that church was, was much louder than other churches. Um, so lots of diversity in the way that we worship. I experienced all those things. Of course, there's many that I haven't, um, but those are some of the experiences that I have had. And when Sean and I got married, he actually entered the youth ministry and I followed with him and I was um, in a worship leading role most of that time, uh, whether it was for the youth worship team or for the adult worship team in the church. Uh, and so then I had experience in actually leading, not just being a participant or on the team, but leading worship. And during that time, we, we served for several years in church ministry. At the end of that time, honestly, guys, I was, uh, we had gone through some, some difficult things in church. We had experienced some church hurt, and I was burnt out on, uh, on being in church, but also being a part of a corporate worship service. Um, when we came to Christ Community Church, it was just really a nice landing place for us to kind of process all of that. And I remember being in this church and trying to process how I felt about worship and just uh, all these questions in my mind about like, I mean, how do I do this? What, I've seen all these ways to worship. Which way is the right way to worship? Which, which way God honors you most? Um, is it okay to be in this place of worship and lift my hands and sing a song like I surrender all but not really want to? Is that okay? <laughs> um, is it okay to be, to be angry with you and a little frustrated with why it feels like you're so distant right now, but at the same time, in a way, also know that you are here and can I worship you in that frame of mind? Can I do that? Is that allowed? Is that not holy? Like I just had so many, so many questions that really kept me from expressing worship. Um, I just, I really felt like it was really complicated. And what I've learned is that it's not, it really isn't. And I, I hope that, that I can share that with you, my journey through that this morning. When we feel overwhelmed and frustrated or confused about how we worship together, it's really easy to disengage and to allow what we do during our worship time to be more of a soundtrack to church versus something that we actually participate in. Something that we're just here to listen to, to check off our list, that we've, that we've gone through that part instead of actively participating. I know that was me at some point. It's really easy to get there when you feel frustrated or confused about what this is all about. I know that in all of the different church environments that I've been a part of, whether it's the Methodist church reading from hymnals or uh, a charismatic church that, you know, you, sometimes we made up our own songs. <laughs> in all of those church worship environments, guys, no matter how they chose to display their worship, I know that the goal was the same. The goal was to experience communion with God. At its core, guys, simply that's what worship is. It's just being present 
with the living God and experiencing communion with him. That's what it is. When we understand that the point of worship is to commune with God, it takes all the complication out of it. It's not about the rules that we need to follow, about following the acceptable denominational boundaries that we've grown up with. About It's more about the, the posture of our hearts and our willingness to be vulnerable and authentic with the Lord. So I want to take a, a few moments to just look at what the word communion means. Let's look at the definition of what it means, and then we're going to take a peek into some scripture and, uh, and see how that actually played out with people and their experiences with Jesus. So I looked up a couple different, or a couple different definitions for this. And in the Oxford languages, the definition of communion is the sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings, especially when the exchange is on a mental or spiritual level. And in Merriam-Webster, there's a few different definitions. The first, it defines communion as an act or instance of sharing, a Christian sacrament in which consecrated bread and wine are consumed as memorials of Christ's death, obviously the bread and the wine, or as symbols of the realization of a spiritual union. I thought that was a really powerful way of expressing it. As symbols for the realization of a spiritual union between Christ and communicant, or as the body and blood of Christ. Another definition, the intimate, intimate fellowship or rapport. So in both of those definitions, there's a lot of similarity. They use the words sharing and exchanging. A memorial of Christ's death, what he has done for us, and a realization of a spiritual union. Communion is active. It's not something that we can experience without actually participating in it. It requires two sides. Two sides. Someone on this side and someone on this side to share and to exchange, whether it be our thoughts, our feelings, or truth. In worship, we are exchanging intimate thoughts and feelings. We are remembering and declaring the truth of the death and resurrection of Christ and experiencing intimate fellowship with God. That's what we're doing when we sing this morning. So I wanted to go through a few stories in scripture where we see that people have experienced Jesus and are compelled to worship him. So the first one I wanted to go through is the woman with the alabaster jar in Luke 7. So it's obvious that this woman, I'm going to go ahead and read the scripture here in a second, but it's obvious that this woman has had an experience with Jesus before to know that she can come in this room, to have a reason to come in this room and worship him. I think that's important to understand that we experience Jesus. We experience the Lord first, and that is what brings us into a place where we want to be with him. We want to worship him. So in verse 38 of Luke 7, this is what it says. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet with the tears that fell from her face. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over, she kissed Jesus' feet. Then as an act of worship, she opened her flask and anointed his feet with her costly perfume. 
this woman knew Jesus. She knew that she could approach him with confidence. If we can think for a moment what it would have been like for a woman like her in her community who didn't really have community in her community to walk into a, a place that she was not invited and probably would not have been welcome had Jesus not been there. And without hesitation and without distraction, like she was zeroed in on Jesus. He was her only focus. And to do what she did in such a display of just kneeling and sobbing and being broken in front of him, the trust that was there to give everything that she had in complete surrender to him. And Jesus' response to her after he set the, the uh, host of the home straight with how things were supposed to go, his response to this woman was that she could leave in peace because her sins were forgiven. His response to her was to give her peace, to remind her of the freedom that she had, that she didn't have to carry the burden of sin anymore. I remember with communion, there is an act of sharing, there is an exchange, right? So she poured her her heart out in worship, and he had a response. It wasn't one-sided at all. There was communion happening in that room. When she gave everything in worship, Jesus' response was to remind her, you have peace and you have freedom and you don't have to carry the burden of your sin anymore. Go in peace. There's another story I wanted to look at as well in Luke 8. The story of the demonized man. I don't know if you guys remember this story or not. Uh, If not, go back and read it in Luke 8. You guys, the Bible is not boring. This story is crazy. Um, So Jesus and his disciples were traveling and they come into this community where this man is. Uh It doesn't tell us how long he's been burdened with this demon possession in his body, but it does say that there are so many in him that when Jesus asked, what is your name? It's the demons that reply, we are legion. And Jesus ends up freeing this man and the demons go into a group of pigs and the pigs fall off the cliff. And I mean, it's, it's kind of a crazy story. Um, but what I wanna focus on is what happens afterwards. When this man experiences Jesus and he's free, this is what it says in verse 38. But the man who had been set free begged Jesus over and over not to leave, saying, let me be with you. I don't know how long this whole exchange took. Or if you've ever had a moment where you really felt set free from something. Um, But I just thought it was a beautiful picture of when we really get what Jesus has done for us, this desire to just be with him and never be far apart from him again, to just be in his presence. He begged him over and over again, let me be with you. He wanted to sit with him and to worship him. Guys, sometimes 
worship, it's, it's not saying anything at all. It's just being present and being with him and there being this unspoken communion that happens, this knowing. This man in his hunger for Jesus begged him not to leave. And Jesus' response was a little unexpected. First time I read this, he tells the man, go and tell others. And I was like, well, that's not really what I would want to hear, right? If I'm begging, uh, Jesus, just let me be with you. Don't, don't leave. But sometimes, guys, this is a good example of when we spend time with him in worship, that sometimes we get to soak because he wants to deposit something in our hearts or tell us something. And sometimes he gives us an assignment. And that's what he was doing with this man. He told him to go and to share. He called him to commune in a different way. He had spent time communing with Jesus, but now he wanted him to go and share with his community who Jesus was, what he had done, to share that by communing with his community. Another story that I want to look at is in Luke chapter 10. It's the story of Mary, the sister of Martha. And we know that story, right? That Martha was preparing the meal and preparing the home and that Mary had chosen to sit at Jesus' feet instead and that Mary had gotten upset and all that stuff. So that's the story we're talking about. So in chapter 10, verse 39, it says this, Mary sat down attentively before the master absorbing every revelation he shared. There's that word, shared, right? And in verse 42, Jesus said, in response to her sister Martha, who was upset, he said, Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted, and I won't take this privilege from her. I think that's a beautiful picture of the heart of God for us. Mary longed to know him more, to know his voice, and to hear any revelation that he would want to share with her, just anything. He, she just wanted to soak it up. She chose above everything else just to be focused on him and to be with him. And that was her act of worship. And Jesus' response to her was, I will not take my presence from her. Because he loves being in communion with us, right? It's not, again, it's not one-sided. It's not us just constantly seeking to be with him, but he wants to be with us as well. In chapter 17 of Luke, this is the last story we're going to look at. we see the story of a group of men that have been afflicted with leprosy. Again, Jesus is traveling with his disciples. And he comes upon these men. Uh, Luke chapter 17, I'm going to start reading from verse 11. It says, On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus passed through the border region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered one village... 
10 men approached him, but they were lepers. They shouted to him, mighty Lord, our wonderful savior, won't you have mercy on us and heal us? When Jesus stopped to look at them, he spoke these words, go and be examined by the Jewish priests. They set off and they were healed while walking away. One of them, one of them, a Samaritan, when he discovered that he was completely healed, turned back to find Jesus, shouting out joyous praises and glorifying God. When he found Jesus, he fell at his feet and thanked him over and over, saying, you are the Messiah. In verse 19, it says this, then Jesus said to the healed man lying at his feet, arise and go. It was your faith that brought you salvation and made you whole. I know these stories don't seem like what we would think of an example of worship. But I guess that's my point, <laughs> that, uh, that worship really is, it's just being with him, understanding who he is, sitting at his feet, being undistracted, taking the time to turn around and praise him when the rest of your friends are long gone. One man out of this group turned around and out of an abundance of gratitude for his freedom and his healing and the realization of knowing who had just healed him, he fell down at his feet and thanked him over and over again and he confessed that he knew that he was the Messiah. This was his act of worship. And Jesus responded. To the man's request for a miracle, he gave him a miracle. He gave him breakthrough. And in response to the man's praise, he confirmed to him that he was whole. Sometimes when we walk out of worship with him, whether it's in a group like this or, or time spent on our own, we walk out feeling maybe like we're not carrying anything new. Like it was just a moment that was just an exchange in a different way where we just left maybe feeling like we know him more. Sometimes we get an assignment. Sometimes we get to linger there because God wants to show us something more. And sometimes we just end up with this confirmation, this reminder of who we are because of who he is. I believe that's what happened here. He just reminded the man that he was free and he was whole. Jesus' ministry on earth, I mean, we know that Jesus came as God in flesh for the restoration of his children to the Father and for our salvation. But he also came during that time of his ministry to just share the heart of the Father with people so that they would know how the Lord felt about us. And I think it's important for us to stop and think about that. This God, this spiritual being that is beyond our understanding, that with one breath created cosmos, the rings around Saturn, and at the same time, was able to create single cell organisms that we can't even see, right? 
And in between all of the big and all of the small, he sees us and he wants us. He wants relationship with us. Sometimes I just I think about that and takes my breath away. That in all of nature, in all of his creation, that he sees us and wants us and loves us. Like sometimes it's just it's just crazy to me. In Zephaniah three seventeen, it says, "The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save." He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. You guys, again, when we get in this place and we sing and we rejoice, it's not just us singing in the room. He's here. He is in our midst and he's singing over us. He's rejoicing over us. I mean, how cool is that to think about? Communion is happening in this room with the Lord, whether we are aware of it or not. He's here. He's in the midst. He's in the middle of this with us. And as we sing out of gratitude and thankfulness, he's singing over us, loving on us. Communion happens vertically between us and God when we worship. There's an exchange between us and God, an intimate fellowship just like in the scriptures that we read, we declare truth, he confirms it to our hearts. When we surrender, he gives us peace. We share our feelings and our fears, and he reminds us of his promises and his goodness. When we come together to worship, we experience communion horizontally as well, though. Communion is happening this way between us and God, but we are also experiencing communion together in this group. There's a few scriptures that I wanted to point out that recognize the power of being together in a group to worship. Psalm 22, 22. I will declare your name before my brothers and praise you in the midst of the congregation. And in verse 25. You're the reason for my praise. It comes from you and goes to you. I will keep my promise to praise you before all who fear you among the congregation of your people. And in Psalm 35, 18, then I will praise you wherever I go. And when everyone gathers for worship, I will lift up your praise with a shout in front of the largest crowd I can find. When we gather in this space to worship together, here's a few ways that we can find that communion is happening, okay? So we gather together and we're singing songs and you look over and you see your neighbor, your friend, and they're worshiping. And when we see that, it's evidence to us that there is a connection that they're having. There's a relationship that they have and it's an encouragement to us as we worship to see others that we know being thankful and rejoicing in the Lord. When we sing about God being our healer, sometimes we're reminded of people in our community that are still waiting on that healing. And as we worship, we can also pray for them. And that's the way that communion is happening here. 
when we sing about the provision of the Lord and are reminded of someone who might still be struggling, who needs provision in their house. And again, we're, we're either prompted to pray or we're reminded that maybe we can help in some sort of way. We're also experiencing communion. I don't know if you guys know Carrie Job. If you don't, please look her up after the service because she's amazing. She sings a song called The Blessing based off of scripture. When she sings this song in, in amphitheaters full, full of crowds of people, they're singing this song of blessing over these people. She's singing truth into life over them, singing this blessing, covering them with these words. And that is communion. When we as a church sing Waymaker, I have a few favorite songs that we sing in here, but I know that Waymaker is, is definitely one of them. When we sing that in this church and we get to the verses where we sing, even when I can't see it, even when I can't feel it. You guys, it's like we aren't even singing those lyrics anymore as a worship team. It's just like we're pouring our hearts out over you that we want you to know that he is here and he is moving. He is doing something in this place and for you. So it's almost like we, we're singing words, right? But it, it's almost as if our hearts are pouring out over you as well. Singing that truth over you. Longing for you to know that God is here and he's active in your life. And then when we sing that chorus for like the thousandth time, because it feels like that sometimes, we sing it forever. But when we sing that chorus the last time and we get quiet up here and you guys become the worship leader and you sing it and we hear your voices, all singing it together and you sing it back over us, guys, it's a powerful moment because we feel that in return. We've spent the worship service singing over you and then you sing over us. We're in community during that moment. Communion is happening both with the Lord and with each other in this space. There's an exchange, an act of sharing, intimate fellowship happening in this place when we gather and worship together. There's an article that was shared with me by the Uplift Foundation and in this article, it was describing the neuroscience behind singing. And there's a vocal coach that was interviewed for this article who, uh, who helped describe what is physically happening when we sing, specifically in a group. This is what it was more about, when we sing in a group. And she said this, singing is a process of consciously controlling our breath and larynx to create and sustain pitches. Our larynx is our voice box. So we're breathing in, we're breathing out, we're controlling our breath and our voice box to create and sustain pitches. And in a group setting, each group member feels the musical vibrations moving through their body simultaneously. The music that's coming from instruments and voices as well as their own, those vibrations are felt simultaneously in the room. She said this, our heartbeats become synchronized in that moment when we are all singing together the same song, the same words, the same melody, our heartbeats are becoming synchronized. We literally form 
one unified heartbeat. When we sing and we worship in this place, we're not just singing the same words. We're not just listening to the same music. Our bodies are responding in communion. Our heartbeats are becoming one rhythm as we sing and as we worship in this place. So what's the point? The point is this. When we begin to view our time of corporate worship as a moment of communion, it will uncomplicate the way that we come to worship. It's not about what we walked in wearing. It's not about our church background, whether or not we look like the person next to us as we worship, whether we clap, whether we shout, or whether we stand in silent reverence. It is about this. It's about tasting and seeing, about experiencing God's presence, about being vulnerable with him and sharing our thoughts and our feelings as we worship. It's about remembering and declaring truth, reminding ourselves of his goodness, his kindness, his mercy, remembering and declaring that we are forgiven and restored and that he is our healer. It is about surrendering. It is about exalting his name. It is about just coming to sit at his feet. If you guys remember the story of the woman at the well where Jesus met the Samaritan woman. And in that conversation, she asked him about worship. And he said to her, that the time has now come where worshiping the Father is not a matter of the right place, but of the right heart. It's not a matter of the right expression, the right setting, the right attire. It's about the right heart. It's about the posture of our heart. And when we come simply to commune with God, our mindset shifts from that of an onlooker to that of our participant someone who's aware of their identity as a child of God who just wants to be with him. Before we continue on, I I do want to acknowledge for a moment, I've talked a lot about all of the good things that are happening in worship, whether it's worship just with us and God or worship in this place, in community with each other. But I want to acknowledge that sometimes... We can be wounded by the experiences that we have in corporate worship settings. Sometimes for many different reasons, we as humans, as worship leaders, we get it wrong. And I've experienced that. I remember being so done, being so done with leading worship because of the hurt that we had experienced. I remember as we had left that church that we were trying to find a new community and I would go in those worship services, guys, and I don't know if this has ever been you, but I would like feel my body become tense and rigid 
and I would have this posture, and I wouldn't leave this posture. It was this the whole time, and it was almost like I was trying to physically like protect my heart. The worship leader would be like, let's all lift our hands, and I'd be like, nope. Mm -mm. Even if I wanted to, even if there was something in here that was like, I really feel like I want to, I was like, mm-mm, because he said so, I don't wanna do it, because I refused to be manipulated by someone. My posture, both outwardly and inwardly, was really defensive. I just wanna say to you, if you guys have ever been in a situation where you've been wounded, or you experienced some sort of trauma by being in a worship service, guys, I am so sorry. I know it happens. I've been there, I've experienced it, and I'm so sorry that you've experienced that. If you find yourself holding back because you're afraid of reliving those experiences or what might happen if you become vulnerable again, know this, you do not have to protect your heart from the Lord. I literally would stand like this, like trying to physically protect my insides from leaking out because I just, I didn't want to be hurt. I didn't want to be manipulated. I didn't. I wanted to try and figure this out and I didn't want anyone else to tell me how to do it. What I learned though, because I continued to seek the Lord in private worship, which I think is so critical, I continued to seek him and try and work through all of this stuff, all the hurt that we were experiencing. And what I learned was that I did not need to protect my heart from God, not at all. What I thought I was doing was defending myself from hurt by the church, but what I ended up doing was cutting myself off from worshiping with my community. And let me just take a moment to say, as far as this worship team goes, I promise you that this team up here will never, never, seek to manipulate your feelings, your emotions, or try to coerce you into expressing them in a certain way so that we can feel good about what we've done up here. That is not this team. Our intention as, as the worship team of Christ Community Church is to prepare not just the music, but also our hearts on a weekly basis to serve you and to minister to you. And as individuals of that worship team, we choose to stay close to Jesus so that everything we do on this platform in ministry to you is in submission to the Holy Spirit and directed by him. Our first charge as worshipers on this stage, as a worship team, our first charge is to be worshipers ourselves. And as a team, we seek to come in this room and to change the environment and to minimize distraction, to bring a unified voice to our praise by us singing these songs together. Our goal is to walk first through the veil and hold it open for you to walk through whenever and however you choose to do that. I just want you to know that this worship team loves you and prays for you and seeks to 
honor the Lord by submitting to him with everything that we do up here. So if you are cautious about worshiping in this space, I don't blame you, I get it. I know there could be a lot of history there, but I just want you to know that this worship team loves you and is seeking to serve you well. When you open your heart to God and worship and experience communion with him, know that God is the one orchestrating that moment, not the worship team. If you feel in this worship time that we create for you, if you feel joy, if you feel freedom, if you feel relief or comfort, any of those things, guys, you gotta know that that is the Lord's doing, not us. So if you respond to it, know that you were responding to the Lord, not to us. I know that realizing that freed me up. Because when I wanted to lift my hands, but I refused to, <laughs> it's because I didn't want to respond to someone telling me what to do. But really, guys, I, I, was, I was withholding my worship the way the Holy Spirit was leading me. If you're feeling guarded during worship, or you're still healing from a church wound, I encourage you this morning to open your heart to God, whether it's just you and him in your seat or to a member of the prayer team this morning. Please don't stay there. Please don't stay in your heart because there's so much to be experienced when we worship together in this place. If the, uh, if the worship team will come forward now, as well as the prayer team, if you guys could make your way to the front. I want to close with this, that you will be changed by the communion that you experience. Going back again to the woman with the alabaster jar. In that place, she poured not only her tears, but she poured oil over his feet. If you can imagine with her hair being long enough to dry his feet, she probably got that oil all over her hands and all over her hair and all over her, her clothes. When she walked out of the house that day, guys, she walked out forgiven and free and she walked out smelling the same way that Jesus smelled. The gift of communion with the Lord is transformation. Whether it's a mental transformation, whether we get clarity or wisdom, or whether we feel peace and hope, whether we walk out with a new understanding of his presence with us or a physical healing. Maybe we're just transformed simply by walking away, smelling like Jesus. By the time that we sat at his feet, so what I'd like for us to do this morning is just to take some time. Our worship team is going to sing a song called Communion. I know it's not a song that we know yet, but I invite you to take some time and just be reflective, whether that's in your seat or whether that's up at the altars with a member of the prayer team or by yourself, whether you choose to stand and lift your hands or whether you wanna just sit or kneel, however you wanna choose to experience communion with the Lord this morning. I just want to give us some time and some space to do that this morning.